Welcome to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. Going to have podcasts coming a bit more regularly now that there's an actual offseason to talk about. Winter meetings are underway. Stuff is starting to happen. We're going to have things to discuss. And even though I'm recording this before they've done the draft lottery, which will give me, of course, more to discuss... There are already a couple of things that I wanted to talk about, and so I figured to make those into a couple of different podcasts. The first is that Colorado Rockies GM Bill Schmidt gave uh, an interview, a couple of them actually, and some stuff has started to come out about the team's general direction and uh, focus. Of course, there's always the questions of like general feel about the team, but anyone who's listened to me before knows I, I tend to care a lot more about the specific questions that give us a little bit of insight into what the team is actually going to do, what they're thinking both in the short and long term, rather than the sort of feelings of yeah, how does the team respond to 103 losses and all of that kind of stuff. So the first thing that's really tangible, and I think the thing I want to spend the most amount of time talking about, because it, I think it locks us into an understanding of exactly where the roster is at at this moment, which is a really good place to start the offseason, I think. So he's essentially confirmed that they see Chris Bryant as the everyday starting first baseman. Of course, every day is a little bit of a, a bit of a hopeful term in this case, right? We know that Chris Bryant has not yet been healthy with the Colorado Rockies, and so counting on him to play every single day is probably not wise. And it's one of those interesting things about this conversation altogether, because you've got sort of two polar opposite problems with Chris Bryant, right? The money is just an issue. It's just he's getting paid way more than he's worth. And so that's an issue in and of itself. But from a strategic standpoint, there's this thing of where do you put him defensively? If you've got Charlie Blackman locked in as your DH, which seemed like a foregone conclusion the second that they announced that news that he was coming back, where do you put Chris Bryant? And there was a little bit of an open question that could be right field, which is where he was, again, supposed to have been primarily playing in 2023 or first base. And now that that question has been answered, the only question mark that really remains on the roster from a position player standpoint right now is right field. But it does put a couple of guys into some weird spots, right? So of course there's this question of, blocking guys because Michael Tolia can also play right field. He's not fully blocked, but Elaris Montero at this particular moment in time is now, maybe there's an argument for having Montero as your primary backup at first base and also a potentially interesting platoon partner with Charlie Blackman at DH and playing him in that role. So while I am about to dive into the opinion that I think the Rockies need to be trading some of these guys, because I think that's what's best probably for both them and for the team in the long term, because they've got to get some pitching in here. It's tough to see where Lowry Montero is going to get a ton of at-bats if Chris Bryant is healthy. But if you're planning on him not being then maybe you do stick with both Montero and Tolia if you think Tolia is the guy in right field. But then the question becomes, well, what happens to Hunter Goodman? And what about Sean Bouchard? So for me, the thing that it makes the most sense to do in a vacuum, and the second big question that I'm going to answer today about the Seattle Mariners and their pitching is going to, uh, to some degree, undercut this argument. 
because you can't do anything in a vacuum and the specifics always matter. But, but again, if I'm laying it out more generally, I would say Elaurice Montero appears to be the guy to me who would probably have the most amount of value on the trade market. Maybe Hunter Goodman. Goodman absolutely had a monster year at the minor league level, hit a ton of home runs, drove in a bunch of runs, and even began his big league career by really looking like he was going to be a quality uh, hitter really through the end of the season. He fell off a bit and didn't finish quite as strong as it looked like he was going to. So, this could be one of those scenarios where the best thing to do is to see how each of them perform in spring training and decide from there, or even in the first half of the season. One thing that I, I think I need to adopt early on going through 2024 is that the Rockies really don't need to be in a rush on too many of these things. They do need to be answering these questions, and of course, you've got to respond to losing 103 games. But you're not making the postseason next year, almost certainly, right? You're not responding that quickly. That's not even a reasonable expectation for anyone to have. So if you're building, if this is really a two-year plan toward getting back to contention, at least getting back in the competition, then you, you've got to be putting building blocks in place and you can't be worried about making sure you're responding in the immediacy, right? Unless you're about to lose somebody. So... While you don't love the idea of continuing to, to bury a guy like Alaris Montero on the bench, if you think you can get enough playing time, either through injury or, or you are going to platoon him or whatever, that then you can make the decision to trade him or you think some of these guys are about to hit or maybe one has a big spring training and you do it at that point, that's perfectly valid. But... You don't have enough spots for all of these corner guys. And that's before you get to the fact that that's just on the major league roster right now, right? Those are the guys who are all on the major league roster now. So, so let me do it as I would set it up. Essentially, I'll go straight down. Ezekiel Tovar, I've got him leading off, batting, uh, Batting first, that's what leading off means, Drew. <laughs> Playing shortstop. Second, I've got Nolan Jones in left field. Third, Chris Bryant at first base. Fourth, your DH, Charlie Blackman. Behind him, Brendan Rodgers, your second baseman. Behind him, batting sixth, Ryan McMahon playing third base. Behind him, all-star and MVP of the all-star game, catcher Elias Diaz. Then after him, I did give the nod in right field on my depth chart, to Hunter Goodman. He's the guy that I think's got the best potential for immediate and long-term impact. I think the bat is going to play. He may end up being a DH or a first baseman of the future, depending on how his defense and right field shakes out. But he's the guy who looks to me to be the most major league ready right now. And then batting ninth and playing center field, hopefully every single day, Brenton Doyle, and obviously hopefully getting a bit better at the plate there. But for now, he's your nine-hole hitter and your center fielder for the foreseeable future, you hope, uh, right? So that leaves you. So, so that is where we get into this. What would the bench look like under that situation? You've got to have a backup catcher. Right now, it's Brian Servan. Austin Wins is no longer on the roster. Backup catcher is always fluid, but you've got to have one. So that's one of your four spots. Then I've got Michael Tolia, Lauris Montero, Sean Bouchard, are your next best players, which gets you to four guys on the bench. The problem is you don't have a backup middle infielder there. Tolia can play left or right or first base, but not off the middle, obviously. Alaris Montero is essentially just a first baseman and a DH at this point. 
which is another reason why I think it probably makes the most sense to trade him. He's probably got the most value and the least positional uh, versatility. Sean Bouchard is a really interesting player. Some people really like him a lot. Uh, you know, I'm not quite so sure. He's got a very solid fundamental approach to the game, both defensively and offensively. I don't think that he's got any kind of star potential in there where I think both Montero and Tolia, if all things happen to roll their way, if they end up maximizing their potential could become, if not star, all actual all-stars, certainly really, really plus players for your team. I think Sean Bouchard is more likely just to be a solid guy, but sometimes that's the best way to go. I don't think he's got a lot of value in trades either. So he's probably somebody that I see as a really good option as a bench player for the Rockies. Again, back to another argument for why you would trade either Montero or Montero or Tolia. Uh, the the difficulty with Tolia is I think he just struck out so much and had such an up and down season for the Rockies last year at the plate. There's just going to be a lot more question marks there. His defense is stupendous, but that's usually not something that you've got a whole lot of value for uh, right now on the trade market. Uh, so the other thing is that they've got Alan Trejo, who would give you an up-the-middle guy. He's on the 40-man roster. Obviously, he's someone we've seen for a while. Doesn't get you super excited in a ton of ways, but at the very least is a solid defender up the middle. But you've got to have one. And so one of the other things that Bill Schmidt has said in these interviews is that he wants to get better on the bench, which, again, is another thing I've seen people like rolling their eyes at. Like, and I totally understand because getting better on your bench does not solve the problem of being a 103-loss team. But in the long term, when you're sort of building the foundational building blocks for this team, I do think one of the things that very quietly hurt them last year was the fact that they really had no depth whatsoever uh, from a position player standpoint or from a pitching standpoint. <laughs> it was much worse from a pitching standpoint, but we're, we're talking about the position players right now. And that really, I, I think, was a, a major problem that they uh, had guys that you know really couldn't bring them a ton of uh, punch off the bench. And so, you know, we, we talked about it all year, the number of at-bats that were going to guys like Harold Castro, anyone who gets, and he ended up being a starter, but I say, you know, off the bench, he, he was considered a depth piece coming into the year because of an injury to Brendan Rodgers. Uh, he ended up having to play a ton. So that it would be a similar situation here for Trejo, right? So the, the question is, can you do better than that? Uh, and, and I think that they can and really should make sure that they've got somebody so that, again, when you hope the team is better in 2025, if there are any kind of injuries, you've got a depth piece that you know you can rely on a lot better because he's been around. He's proven he can hang through the, the course field ups and downs or whatever in a way that guys like Jerks and Profar and Harold Castro did not. Right. You need to find someone who can play in the role that those guys were supposed to. And I think that's a, a valid thing to do there. But then we get to the part where the next depth after them, right? That was all major league roster. But who are the guys pushing to try to make the major league roster? You know, with Zach Veen's injuries, it's tough to tell exactly how close he was. But I do think with a strong spring training, he can launch himself right back into these conversations. The same thing is true with catcher Drew Romo, which uh, takes one of those bench spots from uh, that's just kind of some guy, whether it be a Brian Servin or an Austin Wins type into, oh, there's an exciting piece there on the bench who every fourth or fifth day, you know, because he's almost certainly going to start as a backup, which he'd have to at this point. And there's a lot worse guys to be backing up than Elias Diaz. I think you couldn't ask for a much better mentor for a rookie catcher right now. I think that could be a great experience for Drew Romo, but I also wouldn't expect a ton out of him 
in year one. But again, that's why it's great that you're building for the next year after. And so that that's one of the things that I, I would, if you, you know, if you're really rooting for something out of spring training that could kind of boost the Rockies contention window up a little bit, it would be Romo being really good and providing them with a potentially big impact player at a position where it's tough to get a big impact player back there behind the dish. Then they've got Yankiel Fernandez, who's going to be in the mix, if maybe not right at the very beginning of the year. Uh, by midway through the season, I expect that to be getting louder and louder. Uh, a pair of really interesting outfielders in Jordan Beck and Sterling Thompson, who can also play a little bit of second base, a little bit of third base, maybe reports on his defense are mixed. It's kind of funny. I've heard reports that he's really not a huge plus on defense, but he can play all over the diamond, left, right, third, second, which is kind of weird and interesting. Uh, he's obviously the guy the Colorado Rockies got in exchange for uh, Trevor Story not signing back here. And then even after them, even though he's probably another year away, but uh, still in their top 10 is Benny Montgomery. So that's a lot of players. Now, Montgomery can play center field, so it's a little bit different. But Fernandez, Beck, Thompson, Veen, Bouchard, Tolia, all corner outfielders, right? And there's only two corner outfield spots. And it looks like Nolan Jones is going to be hanging on to one of those pretty firmly right now. If you've already got an outfield with Nolan Jones in left and Brenton Doyle in center that you're pretty excited about if you've been paying close attention, all these guys are fighting for position in right field. What makes this tough and, and, and really challenging to decide what they should do right this instant is that the most exciting, highest potential guys, in my mind, Zach Veen and Yankel Fernandez, are a little bit further away need a bit more season, especially Fernandez is like striking out a ton is, is still, he hasn't shown a ton of success at double a yet, even where Jordan Beck and Sterling Thompson have. Now they're not as highly rated as prospects though. Beck is in the top 100. Now he doesn't bring the kind of off the charts tools that Zach Veen does with having a high end arm and a high and an elite speed and elite base running and all that stuff. But Jordan Beck has done arguably the more important thing, which is proved that he can hit. And so, you know, who of these guys do you really think are the major parts of your future are really going to take over in right field? Cause it can't be all of them <laughs> and you need pitching desperately. So I fully expect if not this off season, I, I do think the Rockies are going to wait wisely. So, I know it's a weird use, word to use in conjunction with, with the team, but stick with me here. And they did this kind of last year, too. You let the big dominoes fall because you shouldn't be in on, you know, Shohei Otani or, you know, any, even probably Cody Bellinger and stuff like that at this point. That's not Blake Snell. That's not what you're doing. That's, that is not the card game. That's not the table you've been invited to, right? But players on the next tier or the next tier don't cost as much and therefore you don't have to be as closely tied to if they don't work out because Coors Field for both hitters and pitchers sometimes is just a demon they're not able to conquer. And so, as I've often said, the Rockies shouldn't be too tied into big contracts for any one player. And they've already got Chris Bryant on the books and that's not working out great. So just don't do that anymore, right? Spread out both the costs and the potential number of guys 
who might end up outperforming their contracts, having a random breakout year, having a random bounce back year. I think Cal Quantrill, who they picked up in the rotations, a perfect candidate, a nice blueprint for that type of thing that they can do with all kinds of players. So that's kind of what I expect them to do. But another thing that Bill Schmidt did say is that he thinks that acquiring better pitching is going to come through drafting and developing and trades. And he did specifically mention trades rather than free agency, which I think is smart because in free agency, you're always battling against yourself and the agent and the guy who's not sure he wants to go to Coors Field. And if he has a choice, look, if there's somebody who really wants to come, then, then you go, hey, yeah, bring that guy here. But beyond that, you don't want to be chasing that too much. But trading for some guys could be interesting. You can also pick up a little more extra salary that way, depending on what you're trading out. And again, here, the Rockies have players, a lot of position players for a limited number of positions. And while I think they could stand to bolster their up-the-middle position player talent a little bit, while it's absolutely a fact that they need to hit more home runs and hit for more power, I do think that's coming from these internal candidates. Do I know which ones? No, they they better know. They need to know, and, and there may be a bit of trial and error here and trading some of these guys after the fact. But I fully expect at some point one or two or three of... Michael Tolia, Alaris Montero, Sean Bouchard, maybe even if you wanted to, you know, aim for a pretty good player and trade a prospect with a bit more pizzazz on their name, even a Zach Veen or Yankel Fernandez or a Benny Montgomery, who was a former first round pick and has a lot of skills. And if you just find the GM out there who thinks that they can get the absolute most out of him and they're willing to give you a pretty intriguing pitching prospect to do it. That's something that you need to entertain, if not just out and out do, right? So you probably can't be too attached to any one of those guys at this point, but the more any of them start to prove themselves, the more attached to them you become. And if they become like Nolan Jones, then you try to sign them to a big extension like right now, right? And so, but that I think is how they're going to have to build is trading from that group of players that I was just talking about and building their pitching staff that way. So the second half of our question gets into precisely that. Uh, Somebody mentioned to me, Jeff from Brooklyn, been following me for a while, and I really appreciate it, uh, about these reports that the Seattle Mariners are entertaining trading from some of their pitching depth, and they have quite a bit of pitching depth in order to bolster their position players where they've lost some guys, right? So this would seem like a potentially perfect partnership for the Colorado Rockies. They need position players. The Rockies have an excess of position players. The Rockies desperately need pitching and the Mariners apparently are open to trading some pitching. So there's a really fun tool on the old internet machine that you can use that is by no means exact and should not be taken as the gospel, but still baseballtradevalues.com has a trade simulator that at least gives you a good idea of what a sort of objective analytics-based system sees as the value of all of these players. This can sometimes be a bit counterintuitive. For example, the Nolan Arenado trade was seen by this system as roughly equal, and Nolan Arenado was seen at the time, largely because of his contract, to be a negative value player. I know that sounds weird, but 
this particular system really sees especially the money as a major factor. So the best way to be a surplus value in this analytic way of, of looking at it, and I've talked about this before when I did the whole breakdown of, of Armand Marquez's contract, right, is to be a player who's pretty to very good and also making no money. If you're a player who's pretty to very good or even very, very good, but you're making a ton of money, a lot of times you'll be seen as less valuable than certain other players. So, for example, of all the players in the Rockies system, this system of baseball trade values sees... Adiel Amador, their top-rated prospect, infielder at 20 years old, as the highest surplus value in the system at a 54.1 mark, which is pretty good. That's a pretty valuable prospect that if someone's looking to restock their farm system because he's still several years away, that's a valuable trade chip you've got there, but also a player who might turn into a star one day. So you And at a position like I talked about where the Rockies don't have quite as much depth, which is right up the middle. The next highest guy on that list is Ezekiel Tovar at 37.9. Nolan Jones right underneath him at 33.8. Yankiel Fernandez, who we've talked about as an interesting potential trade candidate, especially if you think Zach Veen is going to get it back at a 19.9. A really interesting one that does make you sort of cockeyed and, and, and turn to the side a little bit is Lucas Gilbreth is actually next on the list. Now, he had some pretty good moments and, and, and some innings there for the Rockies. And as a left-handed pitcher who's not making any money, that's a rarer and more valuable commodity. I do think they're slightly overvaluing him, but that could be an interesting guy uh, if you're not sure what you're you're going to do with him in the future, if you do think you can get him back. Apparently, he's got quite a bit of value, at least if looked at in this way. And then after him, you've got a a series of pitchers in Lucas Gilbreth, Chase Dollander, who they just drafted with their first overall pick in the last draft, Ryan Feltner in at 14.2. All guys seem to have a certain amount of value there. So I was mentioning earlier that I'm not 100% sure what the value is on guys like Alaris Montero or Hunter Goodman, right? According to this, which again, not the gospel, Alaris Montero is only worth a surplus of about two which isn't nothing. And yes, you can be negative. For those of you wondering, when we talk about a guy like, say, Chris Bryant not being tradable, he's a negative 124 because he's been playing not, not well at all and he's making so much money, right? That's the worst combination of things you can be uh, when looking at it this way. Ryan McMahon, I know some people have said, you know, the Rockies should trade him or whatever, but again, because he's making some money and because the vast majority of his value comes from his defense, he's seen as a negative 32, Kyle Freeland, again, because of the contract, negative 27. Sensatella, negative 26. Charlie Blackman, negative 10. But they do have those other guys. Hunter Goodman is seen as a plus 8. Sterling Thompson, a plus 8.9. Uh, Tyler Kinley, who I really like and is a great you know, re-addition to the bullpen, but at 33 years old, a plus 8.8, who's not going to be around forever. Maybe that's a guy you can get some value out of. So I decided to begin with the most absurd, which was just to use this system to create a trade where the Rockies could get the most valuable pitcher on the Mariners through this process, who is George Kirby, who's absolutely fantastic, has some incredible numbers, everything you could want out of a guy, quite frankly, would love to acquire George Kirby. That'd be phenomenal. Plus, it's a great name. Kirby, I'm a video game guy. What's not to love about this? He has a plus value 
of 91.1 because he's so good at 26 years old. He's not making any money yet. So he's just got an extraordinary amount of value. Uh, he's still in arbitration. So you can, you've got to stack up a lot of guys to get him. So was I able to get to 91 with Rockies players without getting completely ridiculous? I, I sent five guys out to get to 93 in trade value. Tyler Kinley, Sterling Thompson, Ariel Amador, there goes your top prospect at the 54 that you really need to get there if you're going to get a guy back who's worth 91. Yankel Fernandez, that hurts too, and Alaris Montero. Now, there are already even a couple of problems with this from the Mariners' perspective because Amador and Thompson and probably Fernandez are a little ways away, and they're trying to compete right now. So all I've given them in this trade to help them compete immediately is Alaris Montero, who, again, could pop and I think could be worth more than this too, and that's somebody who you go, okay, uh, we maybe they see him, maybe they think they can recover him at third base, or if not, at least at first and DH and get some hitting out of him, maybe that's a bat they like. And then Tyler Kenley helps you in the bullpen. But with the possibility to extend this pretty fantastic thing they've got out there going in Seattle, if they end up with three really good prospects in Fernandez, Amador, and Sterling Thompson. But that's what it would take. Again, if you're looking at it this way, that's the kind of thing it's probably better to say that it would take to peel away George Kirby. So that's highly unlikely. And again, probably the player off of that team that's least likely to get moved. So let's go to the other end of the spectrum. And I will look at a, a couple of these other guys because it's kind of interesting. But at the other end of the spectrum from the Mariners perspective, a guy who it would make more sense to trade in several ways, though he's such a solid, consistent, really good pitcher. It kind of feels weird to say that, but it's Luis Castillo because he's 31 years old and compared to these other guys that the Mariners have who are all in their mid-20s. Logan Gilbert is the oldest of the, of the rest of them at 27. So Castillo's the oldest by several years and he's making over $20 million a year. He's got a contract uh, right now at, uh, where, where we go? $22.75 million for next year, $22.7 after that, $22.7, $22.7, and then a $25 million vested option in 2028. Uh, I assume depending on number of innings pitched. Yeah, it looks like in 2027, which takes him through his age 35 year. So, of course, if you're the Rockies, you've always got to wonder about acquiring a pitcher from age 30 to 35. But if ever there was a guy, and again, you know, I'm not a, I, I just said earlier, I was going to uncut my, undercut my entire argument about don't put all your eggs in one basket, don't spend all your money, because if you're acquiring this guy, now you're acquiring his contract as well. Uh, you're sending out all these guys who are making no money. That's part of the deal that's already included in these values. But here, let me just read off the war totals for uh, Luis Castillo going back to his days in Cincinnati starting at uh, age 24 in 2017. 1.9, 2.2, 4.2, 2.4, 3.8, 3.7, 3.4. His ERA, 312, 430, 3.40, 3.20, 3.98, 2.99, 3.34. He is consistent. His innings pitched 169, 190, 70. That's in 2020. So 70 innings is perfectly reasonable that year. 187, 150, 197. His K's per nine, 
8.7, 10.6, 11.4, 9.2, 10 even, 10 even again. His walks per nine, 3.2, 2 3.6, 3.7, 3, 3.6, 2.6, 2.5. This guy rules. <laughs> this dude rocks, man. It is so hard to find guys who are that consistent, that even keeled, that just good number of strikeouts, low walks, solid ERA, a lot of innings every year. Now, guys break down eventually. Can he handle course field? Always questions you've got to ask yourself if you're acquiring a guy. But because of his contract, he's the most gettable uh, of the players that it's being floated out there. Unless you're talking about Emerson Hancock, who is kind of interesting. Younger player, 24, might end up being the odd man out of the young guys. He's only a plus 3.8. So maybe you can get an Emerson Hancock for just a, a Montero and a, a reliever or something. Right? He's much more gettable. But if, you, if, you're, if we're trying to get a little spicy here, a little more exciting... And I've liked Luis Castillo for a long time, if you can't tell. 17.1 is not an unreasonable number to get. In fact, according to this, you could trade Yankiel Fernandez for Luis Castillo straight up and have it come out to relatively even. And I'll tell you what, I would do that in a heartbeat. And I like Fernandez. I think he has a chance to be a great player. In fact, but the, the thing about this, again, the problem is Seattle's looking for help right now. And so Fernandez, who's still in double A and still proving himself in double A, it's probably not going to be a major factor until 25 is probably not the guy they're looking for. So who on the Rockies major league roster? Now you could look to somebody like Jordan Beck or Sterling Thompson, who are a bit more proven, a little bit older, uh, not as valuable and not as exciting. So you'd have to maybe pair like both of those guys. Or do something like Alaris Montero, Sterling Thompson, or Jordan Beck, one of those two guys, and Tyler Kinley, who I, I talked about earlier, a veteran reliever who's got a decent amount of out. That gets you out to nineteen worth of nineteen point seven worth of surplus value to the seventeen point one for Luis Castillo. Again, that I would do in a heartbeat, but if Seattle is looking for guys to help them right now, they're probably gonna have better options than that. So there are a few other guys that you can look at from a Rocky standpoint. What's interesting in this particular situation is from a surplus trade value, they've got a surprising number of pitchers, which if the Mariners are moving them out, like Ryan Feltner, who I mentioned, Justin Lawrence, who I don't think you want to mess with at all. Those guys have plus value. I mentioned Lucas Gilbreth, Tyler Kinley, Jake Bird also has plus value. I wouldn't be messing around with that too much. Warming Bernabell is a guy who's maybe on the verge who you could move, but he's still young at 21, though expected to be uh, arriving very soon. Uh, he's another guy who I think is interesting in these types of conversations. Uh, minor league pitcher who had to have Tommy John surgery this last year, Jordy Vargas. A little bit further away, not going to help a team immediately. Uh, you know, if they maybe aren't fully sold on Drew Romo, he's seen to be a 7.2 guy. 
or if they're more sold on Yankeel Fernandez and they think the shine has come off of Zach Veen, but he's on the verge. And maybe Seattle thinks, I could just see Zach Veen going to Seattle and becoming a superstar, uh, you know, right out there with Julio Fernandez. That would be uh, Julio Rodriguez, excuse me, and that being a whole lot of fun. Um, you know, Benny Montgomery further away. I mentioned Hunter Goodman earlier. So maybe it's, uh, you know, Sean Bouchard, who's at seven, Hunter Goodman, who's at seven. Alaris Montero, who's at two, and you're close to the 17, you're at 16, and you need 17 to get to Luis Castillo, and those are guys who are right there. But if you're trying to do this without moving out, you know, Nolan Jones and Ezekiel Tovar, it gets very difficult and complicated. So that's why as much as you can say, well, you can make the numbers work, you can load them up with prospects, but then they might not want prospects. It might be an even trade all day. You, you can maybe even blow them away with prospects, but they're saying we're trying to compete right now. We don't want any of those guys. If they're not sold on a Montero or a Hunter Goodman or a Sean Bouchard or Sterling Thompson or Jordan Beck, uh, you know, I, you know, I haven't seen on here is Michael Tolia. Let me find him really quick. Okay, okay, there he is. He said he's like a zero point eight, so basically a plus one. You know, not not a ton, right? They actually see Grant Levine down in the minors as one point seven as as a bit better there. But again, if someone thinks they can get a little more, and that's not nothing, if he's the final piece that sort of puts it over the top, and you're trading from a position of strength because they they like these other guys. I, a man, Luis Castillo would be a lot of fun. This is when I, this is when you start playing around with these tools and you start convincing yourself self that that certain things are possible. But of course, the team that has uh, you know the better player uh, always has the leverage in these types of situations, and you can offer them something that might be totally fair on paper, and they just go, "Yeah, well, we like this other guy over here that we were offered by some other team, or they're a better fit for us, right?" And and you don't want to go over the top here. And I, I think trying to trade for these guys, like I've said, you don't need to do everything right now because there's no way to fix the entire team right now. You've got to be methodical about this. You've got to take an interesting approach. But And then there are you know several other guys, like uh, I mentioned Logan Gilbert earlier. He's got a plus 65, so that's a tough one. That's almost, you know, you'd have to trade Ami- Adiel Amador in order to get him. Easy for me to say. Uh, Brian Wu and Bryce Miller are guys who, if for whatever reason, you know, they've, they've been fantastic, very 23 and 25 years old uh, and already been fantastic. They've got plus 28 and plus 25 value, but you can get there if you're willing to part with the right guys, depending on what Seattle uh, is looking for. But I think the toughest part for the Rockies and a lot of those types of trades, as we've seen here, as we look through is that teams that feel like they're in a place where they can part with quality pitching are almost always looking for something that can help them to compete right now. And what the Rockies have in terms of that is limited. It's not nothing though. Uh, Like I said, you can stack up essentially just to go through it again really quickly. If I'm leaving out Amador because he's too far away and he's not helping a team win now, and I'm leaving out Tovar and Jones because you you don't want to mess with those guys at this point. Fernandez, how close is he? Could be on the brink. Uh, Gilbreth and Dollander, Feltner and Lawrence, all pitchers. Dion Jorge's farther away. Sterling Thompson, maybe. Tyler Kinley, a pitcher again. Jake Bird, a pitcher again. So it's not really until you get down to those guys who are worth plus seven, plus eight in the Hunter Goodmans, the Sean Bouchard's, uh, and a plus two 
out of a Lauris Montero. But there's, I think, enough value there that you can go and get some decent pitching. And it might be about waiting until some of these teams, probably not Seattle. Though, again, I'd be on the phone going after Luis Castillo. Because if they're trying to also shed salary, they, they want to get position players. Again, I almost say, which of these guys do you like of this group of Tolia, Montero, Goodman? You know, you can have several of them. And look, I like all these guys. I like all these players. I think several of them are going to end up actually outperforming some of these expectations. You heard me talking about Hunter Goodman earlier. Um, Zach Veen is the one guy I'd be a little bit more hesitant on just because the skills, the raw skills are so off the charts. But, but if somebody said, no, throw it's Zach Veen and Hunter Goodman and Tyler Kinley, and we'll give you Luis Castillo or something equivalent, especially because he signed for so long. He's been so good. He's so consistent. Now that's just a thing you hopefully don't have to worry about, not just for 2024, but for the next four or five years, something you can build around. Uh, you do it. You absolutely do that. So, you know, we'll see what the Rockies do end up doing this offseason, but I also think you don't force anything like that. But boy, it would be fun to end up with one of those guys. If if Seattle's saying, hey, we're shopping, you've at least got to be on the phone call saying, here's what we got. And and you can kind of take your pick to an extent for any of the pitchers that you're willing to move. Or if they want to shoot a bit lower, like I said, go for Emerson Hancock. And I really like this idea. He was a top 10 pick just a few years ago. Hasn't fully panned out quite as well as they hoped. Hasn't been monster numbers in the minors. Uh, Might end up just being the odd man out because he's the guy who hasn't proven it yet. He's still the higher risk, but he's also the lower, uh, you know, value in terms of just being at 3.8. That's Montero and... You know, Hunter Goodman would be an overpay according to this system, right? So, uh, you know, maybe you you ask for more. (laughs) You take it the other way. We want two pitchers now. Uh, You find a reliever to to send along with them. But that's the kind of thing they've got to be looking at. Anytime a team says, hey, we're looking to trade pitching, Bill Schmidt's got to be on the phone. So there's a lot of interesting possibilities there. Let me know if you'd like me to look at any more of those types of things. That's a, a fun tool to use that we can have a lot of conversations around in these off-season times. So I appreciate uh, the people who asked some questions to help lead this podcast in, in an interesting way. I'm going to go watch the draft lottery, see where the Rockies end up, and uh, write down a, I had a few more questions come in. So I'm going to prepare for another podcast for later in the week to talk about all that stuff. And who knows, maybe they'll even make a signing or a trade sometime between now and then. You know, Bill Trade, uh, Bill trade <laughs> maybe i should just call him that bill trade because bill schmidt did make more trades in the year 2023 than any other year in rocky's history at 10 so uh, you know some people think it's just business as usual out here but schmidt's been i think very quietly doing things a, a bit differently and i i would very much like to see that continue this offseason be very active even if he's not making massive splashes right he did that one time chris bryant don't do that anymore. Uh, there's a lot of good little moves to be had here. So thank you for listening into this episode. I hope you all will continue to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.